0: Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, We all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Ground Buster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at GreenBallTires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiry. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage, specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must-have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed ProPEG mounts that allow you to use TRX 450R NERF bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, visit their website at www.dbratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DVR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, SCORE, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and works. Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Adam McGill, welcome to ATV Talk. How are you, sir?
1: Doing all right. I know it's been uh, kind of a pain in the ass trying to get connected, but like I said, I've got a few hours to kill, and I figured we'd get it done. I know that uh, it is Christmas, but I didn't think anybody would be doing much after they fed their faces and laying on the couch.
0: Well, we, my wife's uh, Mexican, so we celebrate. We do most of our celebrating on Christmas Eve. So today we were watching movies and just killing time. So oh, nice.
1: So, so it worked
0: out. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, right off, Adam, you know, like you said, it's Christmas. So Merry Christmas. And to everybody that listens to this, it'll come out in a few weeks. But, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking time. Um, you have an amazing background. And not everybody knows it. Can we address some of that before we get into 250Rs?
1: Yeah, yeah, we can. Um, I think you're just pumping me full of crap so I can talk a lot more BS. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been around the block for a while.
0: Yeah, you have. You, you've you ridden multiple different machines. Right now you're riding a Honda. Um, you know, we're going to change it up here a little bit. After 2024, Honda will not be able to be used in cross-country unless I have read the rule mistakenly.
1: Oh, my goodness. So so to clarify that, that was a rule that was set in place 2008, 2009, 10 reign, when all the manufacturers were involved building machines. So now I think the rule reads, it says it had to be a manufacturer-produced machine, which means that it would open up the window to run, cannondales banshees 250r blasters anything that was produced by a manufacturer we can run i think it's how it's stated now um i've been asked that a lot and i can tell you if it comes down to me having to run that machine i quit
0: okay well i mean that's that's a one way to clarify it
1: yeah i'm uh well i don't know i just that's the whole subject i just don't want to go into, but. I'm a I'm a ride red guy. I've rode, you know, I've, I've rode Suzukis. I've you know, not for the factory stuff. I've rode factory Canons. I've rode factory KTM's. I've, uh, what else? I've rode some Cannondale stuff. I've rode, you know, obviously the hybrid stuff. I've I've done a lot, and it's just I think it's absolutely it's it's saddening to know that there's only one player in the game. There's only one fish in the pond, and no competition's bad. Because if everybody's buying the one brand, then they don't need to really help anybody to keep the sport alive. And it it really, it really stinks.
0: Oh, it does. It's horrible, especially for your, all of your builders. You know, we're, we're having to figure out ways to do other things. Granted, our company has a lot of history and we do multiple different things. We're still doing Banshees, LT500s, LT250s. You know, two fifty R's, obviously three wheelers. Yeah. Um, so, so we have a wide range of things to do. But some of these modern day companies, all they've ever worked on are YFC four fifty R's.
1: I know, man. It's not like I, 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 I'm a I'm a big two stroke enthusi- enthusiast. I don't care what it is. Um, it's really cool to me. And I've been to some races and you know, taking my two strokes, and the kids would come up and be like, "What's that?" I'm like, "You've got to be shitting me." Like, are, you, are you for real? It's like, this is like the pioneer of the ATV sport. You know, no Granny had Suzuki, he had Cali with the A 4, you had you know, the, the Banshee, the Quad Sport, the Quad Racers, you had all that stuff, right? But it's like the 250R is like the thing that you should know, and they don't and it blows me away to think about it, and it's how many guys have no idea the history that's behind where we're at to where we got, where, where we're now and it's just it's
0: mind-blowing well you know part of the reason atv talk started was because nobody knows history nobody knows how far back it goes you know we start back to the us 90 in 1969 yep. when the first honda dealer shows were yep 1969 okay, yeah i remember
1: the James Bond riding around on, a I don't know, 72 or 73 with the big balloon tires and stuff. I remember that, but I didn't know it went clear back to 69.
0: That's that's when it started was 69. Um, 70 was really the kickoff. Um, I believe that that movie uh, <clears throat> I had it written down in my notes from way back, but I believe that that movie was came out in 71
1: that's, that's what i was getting ready to say i know it's an old one i think it was a black and white film wasn't it
0: <laughs> not quite that old <laughs> are you sure <laughs> adam you're still a young guy it's not not that old yeah. I, I was a kid then so
1: yeah yeah that that is one machine i've never had i think it's just a fact that it's so hard to try to find one restored. I've just never dabbled in. I've had some ATC seventies and things like that, but I've just never that's what I've always kind of wanted, but just never wanted to undertake the the task of trying to restore one or pay for one that's restored. I just they sold for what under a thousand dollars and now they're ten grand restored or something.
0: They're way more than that restored because yeah. the tires alone are four thousand dollars a piece.
1: If if you can find it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. and they have to be new, in good condition. You mm-hmm. know.
1: Yeah. Did you see um Mike uh BMS Mike is um kind of reprinting or recreating some of that stuff with some of his restores?
0: I seen um there's a couple different companies that I've looked at that are making stuff because I'm in the middle middle of a um restoration myself. On something oh that, that's, uh, there's only one in the world. So, a tiger cat, a tiger? No, there's only ah. one. There's only one of these in the world. And uh, the only, I, I can't, it wouldn't, you don't have that four bike, do you, that
1: Doug Roll did it years ago, at 534
0: No, I do not. Ah, that was cool. I have something that's from the 80s. I'd be curious. Uh, it, it, we will finish it this year and get it out there and, um, let everybody see it.
1: Good. Good. That just, that's got me thinking like, remember the old IRS kits you could buy for like the 250 yards and the Banties and the quad racers. That makes me thinking like that or the old eraser techs. Remember them?
0: Yes, I do.
1: Like all that stuff. It's just like, shit.
0: This is, this is, um. It never hit the showroom. It never hit the showroom and I can't. I cannot, you know, because this is going to publicize. I can't say it just yet.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah, don't worry about. It. I'm sure it'll be cool when when I get to see it.
0: There's a few people that have been helping me, um, you know, because I have to collect some some OEM stuff. That's it's out there. It's just it's super expensive.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's crazy to think how small it is once you start getting in that collector market like the aftermarket's a little little bit bigger than the oem man when i was trying to find some oem stuff holy shit i mean it's a small group of guys and it seems like like if one guy needs money he sells it to the next guy which is his buddy that then will sell it back to him later and it never really leaves that inner circle it's really it's hard to get them to come off of it if you're an outsider
0: Correct. And, and I had to use some of my contacts and people that I know in that world to reach out to other people to even sell me the product. And they had to know what I was building before they would sell it to me.
1: Yep. Yep. Cause they don't want you to scratch it or tear it up because it's like the last one ever, but it's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I do have some pretty cool stuff, stashed the layer hat, you know, I sold some things and But, man, I enjoy riding them more than I do staring at the the pieces. So I'd rather ride the machine and enjoy it than I would just look at it and enjoy it.
0: You know, I just did a story for three-wheelers, and I was talking to Dave Wiley, who's the owner of ATC Addiction. Yep, Dave's a good dude. he, He has new 350X parts for his 350X that he keeps, and then he has aftermarket or used stuff that he puts on it to go ride it.
1: That's cool. Did you see he got a, he sent me a a message or a text with it. It was a 200 X four wheeler. They only made like so many of them in Australia or some shit.
0: They were actually made in Argentina. Um, That was it. What they were is they were the three wheelers that they were going to sell here and Honda couldn't sell them. So they shipped them down to South America and they turned them into four wheelers and they technically never came to the States. There's a few of them here, but I don't even know if you can find one down there still.
1: I don't. When he sent me that, I was like, I've never seen it. It looks like the old three- to four-wheel conversion kits, kind of what it reminded me of. But he said it was a production. I think it was a 91, 90 or something like that.
0: Um, I think it's 80, 80s vintage still. Um, Is it? Yeah, 87, 88. That might have been an 89, um, 200X. Um, version he has one and I asked him all about it and he he can't give all the specifics because technically it didn't it didn't come here through all the normal avenues
1: yeah yeah it was he's a really cool dude actually I um it it reminds me I need to follow up with him. I'm looking for a dated uh there's a eight of 87 tire I need and dude yeah. yeah yeah so he
0: he's the guy, he's got some stuff and he knows some stuff about some of the factory things that I didn't even remember or acknowledge at the time, like tire size, you know, the 24 inch tire versus the 23 inch tall tire.
1: Yep. Yep. Like the, uh, the Otsu, uh, hand groove or the H tracks or something that they did back in the day. I've right. only seen a couple of them and it's just sad to think that all that stuff's going to be lost. And I I get, I don't know, I've, I've been doing it a long time and I've met a lot of good people. And to know that like the Mark Leggers, the Dan Fishers, the Doug Rolls, the Mike Walshes, all of those guys, when, they, when they're done, where's all that knowledge going to go? Because everybody's just bolting parts on now. Nobody's building, when I say nobody's building cool stuff, it's just, it's different. Like all that that was like, Oh, man, it's so badass, so different. It's like the wrist wrestler. It's so innovative. Nobody's ever going to be able to make anything better. You it, uh, know, It's like that day when it was super cool amp link. I mean, I don't know what the hell it did, but you had to have the damn thing.
0: <laughs> it, it didn't do anything.
1: <laughs> it didn't, no, it didn't do anything, but you had to have it, especially on a Banshee, because why? I don't know. You just had to. Uh,
0: Yeah. Because because it eliminated some chain issues that people were having because they didn't know how to work on their machine correctly. Yeah, <laughs> it was a big nothing. Oh, that is too funny.
1: Yeah, or you remember, I know the Ruth Booth gets brought up a lot. It has to.
0: Oh, it! I can't believe that we still sold those.
1: Yeah, I, I, I see them every now and then. I'm just like, hell yeah because i remember looking through the catalog and it was just i mean i I never i never grew up really having much we always had the we always had the best we could afford never the best you could buy and i remember looking through like the dennis Kirks and the dirt wheels and all that when i was a kid and i wanted cheap horsepower right i didn't have anything but i wanted cheap and i was like man i could do a roost boost and i could do a the, uh, I don't know a power wing or whatever and do this and do a quick shot and like, oh my god I have six more horsepower and not even have to touch the motor. Dad's like that shit ain't worth nothing. You don't even be messing with that. I'm like oh <laughs> so need <laughs> to say I've never owned a roost boost to this day but I always think they're cool.
0: <laughs> uh, you're making me laugh brother. <laughs> it's
1: true because you owned one.
0: I freaking sold them. There you go. <laughs> to uh, hey, I remember I remember selling reed spacers and and now you couldn't get me yeah. to sell you a reed spacer to save my life.
1: I don't know what the hype of that was. It's something about it's putting the reed further away from the piston to make the fuel tumble more or something like that, right?
0: It's supposed to generate more bottom-end power.
1: Yeah, which didn't, I don't think it does shit. It
0: doesn't do, it doesn't do, it, 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 it technically, it slows the machine down. Um Yeah,
1: I, the only reason I would ever have one, like, I, I messed around with some dirt bike reed cages where the intake boot's real short, and you need to space it back to get it to fit the carburetor and the intake boot. That's it. That's the only time I've really ever run a reed spacer.
0: And, and that's when you ran a motorcycle cage?
1: Yeah, I would run a, I had a, God, they, they talked me into, I, I, and I don't I don't know because I don't, I don't, I know I'll just go off these guys because i was kind of around, but not really around. And it's like, you need a 98 CR250 factory reed cage. <laughs> oh, okay, it's been continued since Vietnam. Okay, outsourced one, found one, went to put it on, didn't have a reed space. So I'm like, oh, shit. And then I realized that's what a reed space was for. And I was like, you know what? This one works just fine, so I still have that one up in the attic with all the
0: other stuff. <laughs> uh, that dude that brings back so many memories, but you brought up a great point. You know what? How many years did this industry exist without a dyno? Oh shit! Most of God, it. I
1: never knew what a, I never knew what a dyno was. I mean, when I first got into it, uh, I remember buying at a. When I first got into it, I had a Squarny X, and I bought a Sparks 416 kit with hard-faced rockers. Didn't port the head, didn't put an FCR on it, none of that stuff. And I was like, oh my God, it cannot get any better than this. (laughs) And then then I end up finding out, guys got a smoke, like a smoke bench or a flow bench or something. He had like a smoke machine that would send air down through the, the porch. And I'm like, hell yeah! I'm gonna make the big power. I couldn't tell a damn bit of difference, but I thought it ran better.
0: <laughs> oh, dude! Well, I come from the old school where the dyno and the seat of your pants and lap times were how we ch- tested everything.
1: Yep, yep. I um, I was talking with uh, with KW Sumerta. I can't, I can't pronounce the last name. Sumerta. He does all like okay. the 250R Vintage XD stuff. Yep. I was talking with him and he got uh, I think it was Bob Sloan's last uh, JP might have been the JP Lager I'm not sure which one he got but it was the very last one that Bob had he got from his boy Jason yep. uh, he, he got the story and he was telling me he said he got a, a tote full of parts you know or a bunch of parts and I said well, what was it he goes I got a ton of broken air boxes I said what he goes yeah there's a whole freaking box of broken air boxes why he goes Jason told me that his dad would go out there and jump off this creek bank, and if it bottomed out and hit the airbox, they needed to move the airbox back further. And I was like, that's how they tested it? He goes, that's what he told me. I'm like, so he, he screwed up a shit ton of airboxes that now are super sought after because he wanted to make sure it would clear his shock when it bottomed out, I guess.
0: like Exactly. Huh. And, and they went to aluminum boxes. Everybody yep. thinks they went to the aluminum boxes for horsepower. They went to the no. aluminum boxes to sh- to clear the shock.
1: Yeah. Nothing's better for an engine than hot air. Nothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the aluminum boxes didn't flow air like a stock box. Nah, so they never, uh, they never made the same amount of power.
1: No, uh, I've, I've never really messed with them. I've seen a couple, like, it was it OMF or made a few or um or something like that made a few for like the no link chassis and then i think roll made a few and um i know dan at lone star did like that whole pod filter with the airbox plastic thing which was really cool but all the need for it you know but like i said i'd never i never was allowed to have any two-stroke stuff so i could afford to buy it on my own and then <laughs> as i bought it on my own then i started realizing all this stuff was like Oh, aluminum airbox, no good, why? I don't know, they just told me to stay away from it. And then I learned things as I go on, why, you know?
0: Well, it's over the years, you know, with testing different motor sizes and motor styles and and realizing that, you know, the air flows a certain way and taking the airbox off is foolish. Running an aluminum airbox is okay, but it doesn't make as much power. And you put the stock airbox back on there and it makes more power.
1: Yep. Yep. One of my, uh, my logo, actually I have, that has a a PC two thousand three hundred five on it, you know, Yukon transmission, blah, 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 It's got a stock box, but it has the plastic boot that's spaced the back further from the carburetor right. to the, the intake. Right. And that, that thing rips. But like I said, I've never really messed much with the aluminum boxes. One, I just, they don't the plastic don't break so it's like why change I'll just move it around and make it fit that's what I've done
0: right well what we did is we take we take the stock boot and or the stock box and we slide it backwards and change the mount on the box yep to mount farther back and make an extension piece to go from the front of the box or the front of the boot to a piece of radiator hose, oval it, so it fits between the shock because your aftermarket shocks are bigger around than your stock yep. shock. Yep, and they rub the boot, shape it, and do all kinds of good stuff, don't they? Well, if you oval it, it changes the dimension even though it, it key, still keeps it round. Yeah. It keeps, it's the same size. It's just oval now. And you have the room for the shock. You know, that huh. sequence going to cost everybody $120. So just send money, please.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I uh, I remember taking um when I did my first build, I took and uh heated up uh the 86 intake boots, the one that everybody wants because it doesn't have that like resonator chamber. Yep. So I got one that was like super pliable and mint. And I'm like, I mean I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I can't wait. And I, I had um I had D Manchak at Rage uh do that motor for me. So, you know, port matched the cases, did a spacer plate, long rod, blah blah blah, all this stuff. And he's like, I want a 41 mil carb on that. And I said, why? He goes, "Could you want it to rip, right? And I said, yeah. So we stuffed a big old 41 on it. I had to take a beer bottle. I had to heat that thing up with a with a heat gun and then stuffed a beer bottle in a like, mint 86 boot that's obviously unobtainable now. And I'm like, oh my God. And it, it took it. It stretched out. And I got it right on that 41. And it seems to be fine. But it does. It just does touch the shock now where I had to swell it out and make everything fit.
0: Right. But <laughs> all of this stuff is is what we we lived on for so long. It's it's amazing.
1: I would love I would love to be back in them days and just like the the what's the what was the Grand Prix back in the day that uh, Work Racing did where they did the mud jump the something Grand Prix they called it Adelano. That's it. And I'll never forget seeing like the Doug Eichners and Jeremy Shells and all them guys doing that jump over that mud hole they built and just being like, oh my God, look at them two-stroke. And they land and the ARMs are all tucked up in the fenders. I was like, I gotta get me one of them, Dad. I I've never had one so I could buy one on my own.
0: <laughs> if you could race a two-stroke in wood in the woods, would you?
1: That's always a double-edged sword. Yes, yes, absolutely, I would. Um, it's hard because it's different. The times have changed so much, and going from like where it was at with the you know the two-stroke when I started to the production, you know, the pro-production days, or and then to now, it's just all production stuff. It was. I don't know if it would hold up. I really don't the tracks are faster the the they're the rougher than they've ever been. I've never like when I first got into it, it got rough, but it never got this rough. I mean, I think you would beat the bike to pieces. I don't think the way you'd have to run it, I don't think you'd keep it you might you might prove me wrong, but I don't think it'd stay together at a pro level. I don't think it would stay together for two hours
0: you don't think that, that you don't think that your lobo
1: oh now shit. Now you're uh-huh. talking down a whole nother avenue because we're not allowed to run it. You can't <laughs> run it. Gotta be production.
0: Gotta be production. So a stock 250R frame, no, with hell bolt no. on, break suspension. that thing in pieces. Yeah, it would break the frame in half.
1: Yeah, but you get some nice low third DC4 components on it, do an 86 linkage on the back with some custom access shocks, 04 tires and tire blocks. You're on to the race, baby.
0: Well, can, can, What's the rule for changing the stock frame? Can you change the rear shock location?
1: Uh no. As uh so right now, I and this is just all what we've been discussing. As of right now, nothing has been changed. So I've been pushing for I don't want I don't want a hybrid, um, in a sense of I don't want a dirt bike motor and a four-wheeler chassis. I can't. I can't ride my TRX motor now as hard as what it can be ridden because I just can't hang on to it. I want to do like they did with the two-strokes and take an ATV motor and put a better ATV chassis under the ATV motor is what I'm wanting to do. And Lone Star makes a chassis. I've been running them now a couple years regionally, practicing on them. The fitment's nice. You don't really, I mean, yeah, there are a few things that are different, but everything is stock, it's OEM geometry. So nothing changes. So I'm trying to push that into the rules to give the guys an avenue for a chassis that will will outlast the stock one as well as be lighter than what we're running now with all the gusting we got to do to get it to survive.
0: Right. What do you think is going to happen? with engine cases and transmissions that are going to become non-existent
1: somebody will make them out of billet just like uh what is it dave moore's making billet case for the 250 rs i think i mean there's already companies making the transmissions uh nova i think makes a tranny you can buy cranks you can get aftermarket cylinders uh cylinder works or yeah cylinder. how much works of the stuff
0: out- but, but how much of the stuff is good most of the uh, most of the aftermarket cylinders aren't very good. I know
1: Nova. I know Nova stuff's good. A lot of guys in motos run it. You know, back when um, I know the cylinder works stuffs well because um, I've ran it now, but I can't tell you about the only thing that would concern me with getting it is the cases. I'm not sure if somebody would be willing to do that because I don't know if the market is the same as what a 250R would be.
0: You know, I don't think Can I, I don't it? think the I don't think the market is there yet for cases, especially for the 06 ups. I don't think the market's the same. Like the 0405 on the West Coast for yeah. for anything desert, the, the the 405 was a better choice.
1: Yeah, I know that they discontinued some of that stuff, but I know that I mean I I know that people were smart enough to stockpile that stuff kind of like I did. I don't have like everybody's always like oh I can't get parts I can't get this I'm like you're kidding right I mean I have no issues the only thing I cannot get right now is a is a kicker lever that's the only yeah. thing I can't get and somebody's remaking them and you can get they them just, online line you know blah
0: they discontinued them like three years ago
1: the 405 they did
0: the O6, no no six ups they did
1: are you sure because I've got them on order it just says unavailable it doesn't say discontinued or whatever the other word they use
0: is i i have i have had them on order for quite a while
1: yeah i think and mine's I got, been two years
0: now. i got some you know i i, I doubled my order double my order so i got like six of them at one time and i've used all but two yeah but it's still yep. I, I got a chinese one from a customer and it doesn't fit
1: really i know that um the ones that i forget who's making them one of my one of the guys has bought you know a few machines from me and he told me about them and so i got to doing some digging and he says they fit fine the ones he's getting but i I couldn't tell you the name I, i don't know what the name is but um like for example this like it's weird because i put they supposedly discontinued like the uh the rubbers that go in the subframe, the isolators for like the exhaust. Right. I left them on order. I was like, you know what? Let's try it. Let me order 10 of them. I got 10 let this week or last week. So I don't know if they just do batches of them. I don't know. If, I, I don't know. Cause they told me, and I don't know how much of it's true. Like when the, there was a, a tsunami that went through there and took out a bunch of the factory <laughs> stuff is what I was told. And it took away a bunch of their tooling. And that's where the 250R stuff quit getting produced because the tooling got destroyed, which I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I heard through the rumor.
0: I don't. I hadn't heard that one. Um, I know that when Mr. Honda died, so many things changed. Because if Mr. Honda was alive, 250R parts would still be being made because he'd have figured oh. out and kept going.
1: Yep, yep, and that would have been great. I mean, not really for the resale value, but it had have been great to be able to get the stuff.
0: Yeah, because the 250R market would have never died. It would never even have slowed down. No,
1: no, it would not have. So it's just, and it's just nuts to think about it, man. I mean, how wild it went, you know, and what's crazy is it's no different now than it was then. Honda made a machine, they quit making it. Yamaha continued to produce a machine, and Honda made another one. But I don't know if it's going to rebound. I mean, I hope, I hope somebody does. I mean, if somebody would make anything.
0: The rumor that I hear, is that Honda will never produce another machine like that? Never is a long time, so we can't we can't hold on to never. Um, I heard through the grapevine for years, up until just recently, that a 450 was coming. Um, that that source and that line has went dark. Yeah, so, I don't know.
1: Like like you've seen all the blueprints and stuff they've been putting up online. I'm sure.
0: I don't think and it's I- real.
1: Not only either, I think it's a bunch of BS. It's just to me, it's just I. I don't know. I don't know what to. I, I. I don't know what to say because I. I don't want to discourage anybody, but I'm not. It's hard to push people that want to race into a machine that's been unavailable for ten years. Makes sense.
0: Yep, totally. So it's right, hard. Dude, to I got a to full of, I got a garage full of TRX four fifty R's. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Granted, mine are all in pieces, but still, I got it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's there. It's a. My dad asked me the other day. I ordered a, a carburetor, and I mean, we've got. I've, I I can't tell you the number, but we've got enough. And Dad's like, "Why'd you order another carburetor?" I said, "Cause I had to put a new one on my race bike." Why'd you order another one? We got this many left, and I'm like, "Uh, because eventually one day somebody's going to need a carburetor, and I'll have it." You know, it's like if I take some out of stock. You,
0: I, 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 you, I, I you don't have to answer this. Do you have the motorcycle versions or the ATV versions?
1: I'm an ATV version guy.
0: Okay, I have a box of those that are all reconditionable and 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 sellable. So that's yep. not a problem for me. I, I put them together. I only run race gas through them and test them and put them on the shelf.
1: Yeah, I, I like the ATV one. I send them, like I said, Rage does my motors, Rage ATV, D-Man out of right. Texas. And he, I like, like with the dirt bike stuff, the TPS sensor is different, like the plug.
0: I don't even use it.
1: See, I like it. Because it changes the timing down low and it makes the bike snappier off the bottom. For me, on the TRX, the 06, to, you know. But I know that the, what is it, the 08? dirt bike carb is like a 41 mil or something.
0: Yeah, it's the 07.
1: Yeah, so there's one year I know it was bigger than all of that, but it changes the curve down low and I mean, I don't want to tell you all the secrets, but it definitely makes to me it gives it more snap off the bottom.
0: It, 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 you know what, we all have our own little theories to it and you're not wrong, but I never I never have found in any of the things that I've ever done and built a desire to have that connected because I could never, I could never get it to tell me enough of a difference to justify it.
1: Yeah. And maybe it's because it's the, you know, West coast and East coast thing, but I like unplugging it, plugging it in. I could tell a difference, but I've been doing it 20 some years now, but for somebody else to do it, it, it doesn't change the peak number on the dyno or as far as the way it feels. It just changes the way, to me, the way it comes on, and if you run it, you run it. If you don't, you don't. It's like running three pounds of air in the tire versus four. You're not wrong either way you do it. It's just what you prefer.
0: Right. And I think there is a huge difference. As I'm learning, you know, since I started the show, I get to talk to more and more and more people, and it broadens your view of certain things. And and the off-air conversations that I have with people about building and developing, and and the the things that they're doing or have done and the things that I've done. Yeah. It's awesome because it's broadened my view of a couple items that I would never have used before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't probably use them on the West coast. Cause I still don't think that they're a West coast environment thing, but I yeah. can see based on the little bit of testing I've got to do how your East coast needs and your West coast needs are not even on the same planet.
1: No, no. I mean, I went out, uh, I've done Vegas, Reno. I mean, that's about the only I compared to. I did a works race in 2000. I think it was ten, but it was up in uh, Washington, so it was kind of a woodsy race. The the works deal they had up there, remember that one? Yep. yep. And it was more woodsy than like desert, like typical works. So the only I compared to is maybe like a, a Vegas, torino and we went out there and and you know, I built a bike kind of like how I built here and, it's totally different, man. I mean, the way the guys ride, the setup, the 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 jetting, the the everything. It's just, yeah, it's just totally different. It's Like, I know when I say this, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Megacycle cycle cams. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a mega cycle out here. I just uh, I just don't think it works, but it works really good in the desert and works.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. That's what we would, I remember when you came out and and wrote against my machine and the Facebook story and all the deal and Josh Rowe and you talked. Yep. I remember leaving, we were loaded up and leaving when you guys were pulling in.
1: Dude, he kicked my ass. (laughs) But, you know, it was, it was, I've known Josh a long time. Oh, I wouldn't say a long time. I met him. First time I ever met the kid we was when we went to the did that Washington works race. Right. And him and his dad and his mom and his I, I can't Rhino. I think his buddy's name was Rhino. And I was young then. And they yep. invited me in. We ate spaghetti, played MX A T V brief lectures, and just had a blast. and I and I giggle because he gets that laugh. And he turns and looks at you real slow. I'll never forget that look. You know, now he's a dad. He's doing all that stuff with Matlock and stuff. But it was it was really cool for us to click like that. And when I come out and do that stuff, 90% of the time, I am going to get my ass kicked. But I sure do like to have a good time doing it. And, yeah. they, and when he, when I took off, I was like, oh, yeah, ain't nobody catching me. I'm going so fast. He drove around me like I was on Jackson. I was like, holy shit. And I was in the dust. They he's just oh, gone, but that's the difference. Them guys out there, they're, they're, they're tuned and they're trained for that. Like to see through that dust, to, to be able to trust it, read the ground at 60 mile an hour. It's like, shit. I had no idea what the hell I was in for. I just know I want to go out there and do the race and finish.
0: <laughs> yeah. That we, we had a good day that day. And, oh, and yeah. that, you know, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about here. You have machines that you've built in your life that left an impact on you. Uh huh. That is one of the machines that I built that I think is probably one of the best ever.
1: Yeah, that bike. What was it? You guys did it. Shit, you were under nine hours, weren't you? Yes. Right at nine.
0: I think we were under nine.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I know it was high eights, low nines, and shit. I. Fifty-four mile an hour average. I was, it was like, God darn.
0: Unofficially, they clocked that bike on uh, a slight uphill road on a pea gravel road at mile yep. marker five hundred ish at eighty-eight yep. miles an hour.
1: That is hauling ass on a TRX, Because I can tell you what it takes to get up in the eighties, and it's a chore.
0: Yeah. So, and I, yeah, that, that was that's lame.
1: ripping. That is hauling some serious ass.
0: Yeah, it's the reason I say it's unofficial because we didn't have um, the normal style clocking system, and you could dispute it really easy. So, yeah. I mean, it was in the '80s, but at 500 miles, and to still be having your machine go that fast—oh, yeah, it was incredible.
1: Yeah, if you did it there at the end. Hell, you was all in that big rock garden stuff there at the finish, which was sketchy as hell.
0: No, it was before that. It was right before that.
1: Okay, <laughs> I um, uh, we went out there that year that um, I put the, t- the the program together and did all that, and you know that's how the Vintage for Vet thing started for the the raise the money and all that. But I remember going out there and it was like, you know, I was going to do I was going to do the start and then we were going to have this other guy finish. And we got out there and I did the start. I did a hundred miles or like ninety something miles. I went from one to three and it handed it off, and then I got it back. Was it right before remote pit? So it was like 10, maybe?
0: And yes. 10
1: right before remote. So 10 to 11. And I was going to give it back at 14. And that would have been right at about another 100. And then, because that year was 530. And then I was going to give it to the last guy to do like the last 42 miles or whatever it was, right? I ended up getting to the last pit. I outran the, the guys that had the rider, outran them there. My best friend still this day. He he put he filled me up, pulled the jug out, said, "I see it to finish, buddy. Good luck." And I'm like, "Where are they?" He goes, "You yeah, beat them. Go." And I'm like, "Oh shit!" So I'm on the <laughs> bike, you know, 150 miles. And I mean, I know it's nothing compared to you know maybe doing some of it, but being on it, you know, that long. So it was three hours, three and a, maybe three and a half hours, something like that. I got done. And it was like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see nobody. I don't want to answer any questions. I am smoked. My brain is fried. My body, I'm smoked. I remember it took me like 30 minutes to get a peanut butter jelly, and it got stale before I got it in.
0: (laughs) That's too funny. That is too funny. Yeah. It's
1: like going to PDV and doing that race. That's a mental drain.
0: Uh, How many times have you got to go there?
1: Uh, I went to PDV. Eight, nine, 13, and 14, four times. Oh, nice. Yeah, never won it. We, we got beat. I got second. We got beat by 30-some seconds. The next year, it was me, Josh Kirkland, and Paul Holmes on a KTM. It was a 565, and it was a full-on custom transmission, the Baldwin re-ratioed and all that. We was the youngest team there. We was 18, 19, and 20, I think, and I was the oldest guy, and we pulled all three hole shots and was leading it at ten and a half hours and shit the transmission out of it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then I went back. I took a couple years off just because of, I mean, it's 5,000 miles, it's not, plus it's it's either a two-hour drive or an hour and a half drive from Lyon, and then it's a five-hour drive from Paris down there. Plus food, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an exhausting event to do from the U.S. And I went over and met I met a guy by the name of Terry Versappen, I think is how you say his last name, and a very very good dude. He was he, he owned a company there called Belgium Bel, Belgium for Race or something like that. He was from Belgium. And he was on the board of the PDV at that time. And he's he's like, Adam, I want to do a team and I want you to be a part of it. I said, okay, what are we going to race? And that's right when Walsh was doing the CRF hybrids. Right. Like the first year for like the Suzuki style chassis. And we went over there and, you know, I was shipping, you know, lights from here and, and graphics and whatever he needed that he could not get over there. I was, Gathering up here and sending, gathering up here and sending. And got over there and the bike was on, it was a dirt bike motor and it was a kickstart. And it kickstarted backwards. We qualified second. And I will say that every year I've been there, I've never qualified outside of the top two. Um, but Frenchie beat us there on qualifying that year, I think. And Jeremy Warnia, remember him? Yes. He beat us on I think he beat me by about like a second and a half or two seconds. And, you know, the lap time then was like, uh, it was like a three, they slowed it down to like a 330, 340 at that time. Okay. So, um, we did that, and I never pulled a whole shot because it kicked backwards, but we got, I forget, we were struggling most of the day with, you know, with the bike didn't have enough power on the stator or on the light, so when you flipped the stator, you had to have the bike pinned wide open. Well, you're not allowed to bike. Have the bike running in the pits. So it was. It was just a. It was a mess. So, um, that year I had Holmes because he was from England, and I had Hedrick fly out with me. Um, not wanted to get like super in depth with it. I missed my flight by 24 hours because I thought it was the next day. Blah blah blah. I ended up getting over there a day late, but I got oh, okay. there. Yeah, just don't worry about it. But yes, I, I kind of screwed up. Read my ticket wrong. Um, but I got over there. And, you know, we raced the day session, which was a three-hour day. Then it was a two-hour break and a five-hour night. And I rode the bike from – I rode the bike in the morning in the first session and I gave it over to – I can't remember if Holmes or Hedrick, one or the other. Gave it to them, and then the bike went to impound, right? And we're starting to have a little bit of issues with it because we didn't get to put a lot of time on it. The bike was built over there, so yada, yada, yada. I get on the bike. I think I can't remember. Holmes started, and I love Holmes to death. He's he's you know he called. I still talk to him this day, but he's he's very picky. And you know the bars were different. This was different. he had Evan twist and all this stuff. So we you know we we tried to make it work. Not everybody's going to like what everybody likes. Just how it is. And we he rode it for like an hour going into the dark. Went to flip the lights on. The lights flickered. He flipped them off and brought it in. He's like, I'm not going to ride it because the lights won't stay on, blah, blah, blah. So I look at this time, Joel's not even dressed. So I get on it. I'm like, you know, I'll go out there and I run two hours. And Joel, you can finish it up. Okay. So I go run my time. They bring me in. They bring me in and Joel's not dressed. And I'm like, Joel, what are you doing? He goes, um, I'm colorblind. And I said, okay. And I have to piss. What? I don't understand what we're doing. He goes, I can't see the shadows or the holes in the ground. I'm like, you think you would have told me that before you flew 5,000 miles to this race? <laughs> so guess what? Back on the floor, I go for another two hours. I was so freaking pissed and upset. I, they, they had to pick me up off the quad. I could not get up off of it because the speed there, roughly 60 miles an hour. For two hours and then you have to pull in to get fuel. The goal is you got to stay out there two hours blah, 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 right? Right. I remember shutting that fooler off and looking at them and said, if you want me to ride that fooler tomorrow, I will break your neck. I am not getting on that four-wheeler tomorrow. You guys have got to figure this shit out. And it, we ended up um, the crank actually spun. We were supposed to have a weld-intruded crank, told it was, and the load spun on the crank and Locked the motor up. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good one. That was a big learning experience for me. But, and then the next year we went over and was eight coming into the last session. And it rained. I mean, it rained, it rained, it rained. And I'm like, and I had Rastrelli at Upperman was there. and Baldwin built the bike here and we shipped it over. and, They say, oh, you're an XC guy. You go out there and ride. And I'm like, god damn it. I don't want to do this. shit. It's buddy. You know what? I'm like, piss on it. We'll do it. So I did. Got us into the top three. They red flagged the race because it was dangerous. Called the race because we was making up time and called it on the last session. So we ended up eighth.
0: Oh, so you rode all that, got it in the third, and then they call it.
1: They call it, they call it. And this, this is what's really shitty. And not a lot of people know about this. And it's, it's, I don't, I mean, I would love to go back, but I, I don't ever see myself going back due to my age and all that. An official came up to me and said something to me. And we still had Terry involved in the program then, right? He was our translator. He was part of the the, the board. You know, he was all a part of that. She come up and said something to me and left. And I said, Terry, what does she say? He goes, Adam, I don't want to tell you. I said, Terry, just tell me. He goes, she said you will never win this race, is what she told me. So that was a tough one to swallow, to have an official come up and tell me that I will never win this race. I haven't to this day. And I mean, I've like I said, I've been close, but never had a chance to win it.
0: Well, you know why, right?
1: Because <laughs> we're American.
0: Right, Because because the Americans have already won it eight or nine times, and they're pissed. Yep, Yep. An American, an American holds the winning record of seven times.
1: Yeah. Now, is that Eichner? Was that Eichner yep. and the Eichner. the Duncan stuff, the gold yep. banshees and shit? Yep. Oh hell yeah! ATV World banshees, baby.
0: Yep. Those God, were that was cool. Lauren, Lauren, my brother, and Martin Fletcher yep. put that whole program together every year. <laughs>
1: That's so damn cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, the last the last time I was there, there was still one of them running around. I don't know if it was one of the old ones or not, but man, there was nothing better than that thing coming down the front stretch. I was just like, God, if that don't get you freaking excited,
0: dude. Those bikes were so thought through the way they were built. Yeah, I, I yeah. think they lost. I think they lost the race twice. Due to coolant system failures, cooling system failures with minutes to go in the race.
1: Yeah. Now, answer this question for me. Did you guys run 530 chains on them?
0: They ran 620 chains on them.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ.
0: They were motorcycle chains uh, where they would run custom sprockets front and rear.
1: Yep, I remember seeing pictures and being like, oh, my God, look at that chain. But they probably never stretched.
0: They nope, probably they never, never broke. Never had an issue with them. Uh, they ran dual caliper front fronts where they would add another set of Banshee calipers on the front so that it would have better braking and the pads would not wear out as fast. Yep. And they would change to a motorcycle rear caliper so that the pads wouldn't wear on that. Because the first year we won in ninety three, we had to change brake pads in the middle of the race,
1: yeah,
0: and change tires And they didn't want to do that anymore.'t want
1: to. like square little matchbox looking things.
0: yep. And they didn't want to have to do that anymore. So they came up with a different brake system and custom lines for it to to uh, made everything up. It was I still have. I still have the line kit and some of the pieces. I don't have the spindles any longer. At least I don't think I do.
1: Huh. Now, didn't you, didn't towards the end, they run Behringer's or something? Or was that still a, a street bike calipers or something they were running?
0: Um, I believe they were switching over to the Behringer stuff.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing in the pictures, like the solid rotor, and it had the big anodized caliper on it right over top, like, front and center had the two great big pistons on it yep man nobody'll know what that stuff is
0: (laughs) no and and i mean there was a lot of there was a lot of work that went into those machines and they ran a a different combination you know it was always a mid-range motor with either high rev pipes and 35s or mid-range pipes and 34s Hmm.
1: really i figured you'd run a bigger car but i guess you needed the fuel mileage too
0: well, the, with you when you're running a, we ran 350s. They didn't run big bores.
1: Really, I'd have figured you ran at least like 400s or something.
0: Nope, they ran stock cranks with standard bore cylinder, brand new standard bore cylinders. You know, with just uh mid range porting. Mm-hmm. And and yep. and. The boost intake- bottles. Pardon? And
1: boost bottles.
0: Um, we ran boost bottles for a while. Then we went to the. Intake system that we sell, the master flow that has the boost bottle intake manifold system all in one. Um, We ran stock reed cages for a number of years until we came out with the pyramid reed valve. Then we ran the the, the pyramid reed valve. Uh, And then they went to the Lager chassis. And the very first Lager intake system was built for Eichner's Banshee over here. Well. When they went to do the carbon fiber, they went to a different guy this for the for the second version, and it didn't yeah. go no air right. So there was a problem. So that we had to come up with a way. Uh, Martin Fletcher came up with a way to get it to work on his end. It never it never manifested itself on the West Coast, or on the on in in the states. They everybody had to come up with their own way to make it work.
1: Now, you still ran dual cards with that 500 frame, right? CR 500 link?
0: Yes. Um, yep.
1: So that, yep. meant the shock, that meant the intake boot went underneath the shock mount, didn't it?
0: No, it went around it. Oh, God. Like a horseshoe.
1: Oh, talk about making change in a shock of pain in the ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> But it was yeah. cool. It was cool. There was some really, really neat stuff, you know, on those. Um, the the first one with Eichner that we, the Eichner rode over here in the States, that one was probably, in my opinion, the coolest of all of them because everything worked and worked flawlessly for so long.
1: Was that the red and yellow one with the Rikens on it?
0: Yep, and and it was also purple and yellow at one point. Um, It won the very last Mickey Thompson race.
1: Yep, I remember it being in an ad. It might have been an old Duncan ad where that thing was jumping like a a double or something. It's all like cambered in with the Rikens, and I'm like, hell yeah.
0: That was uh, Muddy Creek.
1: You're kidding me.
0: Nope.
1: (laughs) Isn't that crazy how it's like, I could, I could picture myself going back to these times and like magazine picture. And it's like, yep, that was this time. Or that was this time or
0: that was muddy Creek. When the course, when they ran the course backwards on a weekend that just didn't happen to rain. Really? Yep.
1: Yeah. I I, I remember that. I can't remember what ad it was. I think it might've been an old Duncan ad or a pyramid Reed valve ad or something
0: back. In um, the day. Breaking. Did it, did an ad with it? and um one industries i think did an ad with it that way um alba because alba was one of uh his sponsors at the time
1: one industries you remember that stuff don't you
0: yeah we i still have some of it
1: you remember sick graphics or skin graphics i remember them (laughs) that's like that whole era i remember like one was like he was like a cool racer and the the skin graphics was like I like going out and having over the boot pants and hill climbing with my buddies.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, they were they-
1: the helmets back in the day that were like had the fins and a great big, huge fishbowl looking things.
0: Yeah, I remember all of that. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I was digging through like my my basement in my parents' place, cleaning out stuff here a couple weeks ago, and just the memories that came back from the, and like I said, I haven't been doing it that long, but I've been around for a long time. And just having that stuff was like, holy shit, I can't believe it. And it's like, I can immediately remember where it was, how it was when I wore it, like all that.
0: You got to ride the factory KTM stuff. Did did you like them?
1: Yes. Yes. I liked them a lot. They, man, they suited me. I, I'm not really a guy that revs the revs the balls off a bike i'm I'm very like in the meat of the power all the time, and the five twenty five really, really, really suited me Tim farr um what is what's all this child? My wife texted me um Tim Farr told me I remember when I first switched, um you know, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like this with the Honda. you know the the Honda does this different. I remember he grabbed me and he said, Adam, it's not a Honda. it's a KTM go ride it and as soon as he told me that it was like a light switch and we just immediately started clicking and the bike i mean it worked good i mean it had it had tapered bolts with clean outs for the threads then the nuts were welded to the frame like you could purposely try to cross thread a, a bolt and you couldn't do it i mean the bike it was just so cool it had I mean, it had, uh, you know, the frame was chrome molly. It had, you know, the air box where the filter was never in the water. Um, like the way the bumper bolted on, it bolted on the front instead of the side, so you never had to break tabs off. It already came with, you know, long travel shocks, heart day arms, a no-link. I mean, it, it was really, really, really good. It just, I think it was before its time. Really? I think so yeah because i mean they they come out and they they price the thing as a not a race ready but a ready to race bike i got i got uh quoted on that a few times i had to re- restructure how i said that but yeah a ready to race machine and it was uh i mean it was really really good but it was oh eight thousand dollars at the time i think
0: Wait. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, at that time you could buy, there was a place, I forget, I forget what it was called, a place in Kentucky that was blowing out carved Yamahas and Honda for four thousand dollars at the door. And you're going to go around and buy this for double the price. I mean, it, it was a really good bike, come with, you know, razor tires, came with skids, came with, I mean, it was ready to race. <laughs>
0: Shane hit was really high on it. And Eichner has a KTM quad that he rides. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. And I personally, I am not an orange fan at all.
1: Oh man. I, I liked them. I liked them. There's other bikes that, you know, suited me, but it was just, I'm very thankful. And it was an awesome stepping stone. And I mean, I got my first win on one. I mean, it my first factory ride. I, I mean, I, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for them and, you know, and Shane and, and tim and mark and and on you know sam which was my mechanic then i with all them guys and that's kind of how i became the racer i mean i was i wouldn't say a punk but i mean i had i had earrings and i had highlighted tips i had puka shell necklaces for christ's sakes and it was that was cool but i would learned and i evolved from that into more of a professional racer um not not so much of a spokesperson like I am now but more of a racer.
0: So that being said, switching gears on you, you help develop young riders. Yes. And do you have a school or is it just as you meet certain people you start to develop them that way?
1: So I've I started mafia which is just like a riding school that i would put on every now and then and started getting involved with like that now it was early on i really didn't know what the hell i was doing um at that time it was kind of like do what i do and i try to explain it but as i got older i started going from the school atmosphere to more of a a private lesson so a one-on-one or like two or three or something like that just more i don't want to make it sound weird like intimate but more more personable lesson and with that it made it so much better and i could i could you know i I have a two-hour minimum with that you know and then if we if we can go over if they feel okay then we'll go over but two hours is always a minimum and i can i can do so much in that two hours with them and it's not necessarily that I resonate to a kid or resonate to here, but there are some kids that that really that stick out in my mind, but there's also a lot that I've worked with that I've never seen again. So I'm not necessarily just, you know, focusing and finding these, you know, I, I offer a service and that service is teaching your kid to be a better rider, a faster rider and a safer rider. But then I also, always like to see them multiple times and there's some where I see multiple times there's some I see once a week there's some I only see once or twice a year and it doesn't matter to me and I mean yeah you know it it may be because it's you know they can't get away or work or whatever but it's not necessarily that I don't want to work with them it's just the private lesson seems to work better for me because then I don't have to worry about trying to get a class and get and coordinate it and get everybody together and then I got this kid or this adult that's learning on this level and then i got a a kid that's learning on this level so it keeps the confusion away and it it becomes a better bang for your buck because of we go there you tell me what you want to learn you get it you give me like a check sheet and i always tell people you have to be honest with me because if you are not honest with me i cannot help you if you tell me you're bad here we will work on it and i will make you good and i've had a lot of people that's come to me and they're like Adam, that, I can't believe how much that helped. And I've had some where it's like I, there was one kid that come to me, you know, he, he got him a pain in the ass, blah, 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 right? And that's when I was doing the class stuff. And his mom come to pick him up. She had to go do some errand. come to pick him up. She goes, how'd he do? I said, well, if he wasn't such a stubborn asshole and would listen to me, he'd be a good rider. And she looked at me and looked at him and said, get in the car. I, I guess she tanned his hide when he left because I never seen him again.
0: Oh, that's too funny. Uh, yeah. What about Chloe Harper?
1: Uh, big pain in my ass. Big pain in my ass. I, she's, she's something else. Um, I don't She was at my very first Mafia U. Um, and it's crazy because I grew up. I mean, hell, I'm 37. I grew up with these kids from when they started till now. Like, she was six when I seen her, you know crazy hair wearing shorts with this like twirlers skirt on and tall boots and like a tank top and just out there right chloe did chloe things and that's just what liz always told me she did so i never thought much of she just liked to ride and then now seeing her a young lady fighting for wxc one wins it's it's all it's it's like a proud dad moment does that make sense yes yes i and that's That's cool. Is to to be able to work with riders, not necessarily her, but even other ones, and watch them grow and watch them become a better person. And there's there's some kids that you know I do try to stay away from because I do see like bad tendencies or whatever. But if they come it if they come to me and want help, you know I offer the service. I'll help them and I'll try to you know to steer them in that direction where they need to go. But a lot of things I can't teach. You know I can I can I can point them in the direction and I can explain things. But if they don't listen, then I I I, I don't know what else to do. But I am extremely I'm i I'm very proud of that one, man. With that one being from six to running the one fifties and, and convincing her mom that she you know she's wanting to do the racing stuff and telling, you know, or not telling but convincing her mom and her dad. To, to take her to some nationals you've got to take her i said she's wanting to do this you've got to take her so they started taking her some ones. and one of the big tipping points was you know liz owns pro graphics which is a sponsor of mine and you know trent works a wild schedule liz works all the time chloe wanted it so bad her amateur year so bad and i could see it you know she she's lost a bunch of weight she's put some hard work in and liz and i'm like liz You've told her you was going to get her down to ride this winter. Where are you? And it doesn't matter if it's down in Florida or Alabama, Northern Ohio. It doesn't matter, right? You told her you was going to take her to ride. Have you took her? No, I, I'm so busy. I can't find the time. I said, Liz, the best day to build a bridge is yesterday. The second best day is today. If you don't make time or don't change anything, nothing's going to get any better. And it's never going to progress her where she needs to go. A week later, they were in Florida. And the rest has been history. I mean, she won. <laughs> and I, I get, I get like, sometimes it, it, it hits things. that gets a little emotional, but Iron Man, last, not last year. So not the end of the season, the year before her her uh, amateur year. I remember holding, uh, <laughs> I remember holding the pinboard sign out and it said 2022 20, champion. That was cool. That was really cool to be, to be a part of that, you know, and I've got, you know, I've got that championship. I have a couple youth championships um, that come right to mind. I know I've got some more local ones and things like that, but man, to see, I've got one, I've got one red plate is all I own, but I have multiples throughout the GNCC that, that I've been a part of. And that is so, so rewarding because I know like, the pain they feel when they break down, the emotion they feel when they win, the the getting there late, being super stressed. I live all that just like they do. I've lived it. I've still lived to to relate to that, you know, to look in their eyes and know what they're thinking. And they just look at you and you and you have that quiet. I get it. Like and there's nothing better. It's like I said, it's like a proud dad thing.
0: That's cool. In your teaching how do you relate the professionalism, how to talk to people, how to talk to on the microphone, and then what do you tell them about how to treat their sponsors
1: so i don't I don't go into a lot of detail with that, especially in my class.' a lot of that stuff is that they want to do when they come down, they want to ride, especially when they're younger, like all they want to do is ride they want to push the gas, they want to ride but as you as we get older and we start and I start getting more in depth with them, then we start. You know, I I reach out and I do things right. I, I create that relationship with, say, you as a as a company and I'm working with this kid and he needs a pipe. Right. So I reach out to like yourself as I have hey, been working with this kid and I, I make that connection for them. And then they would essentially sell themselves to you. It's kind of how it got started. But I, I never really get and I wouldn't say I get time, but I never get asked that. On how to talk or never gets or teach that. It's always in like general conversation, like, hey Adam, what would you do here? Or how would you approach this? Or what would you do in this situ- situation? But to have somebody ever ask me how to do it, I'm really the only person that's ever asked me has been Chloe. And it's funny because <laughs> a lot of people are like, She's a lot like you. I said, What do you mean? It's like, Well, you piss her off, she's done. Period with you. And I'm like, yep, that sounds like me. (laughs) So she's she's learning. She's still young, you know. I I, like she's got she's got a lot of things going on with her program now with being young and, and getting noticed with companies and people and and she does, she asks questions. And I always, I always, always, always am very firm about you're asking a company to invest in you whether it be grip, whether it be suspension, whether it be cash, whether it be whatever the hell you'd want it to be. What are you going to do for them? And don't don't give the typical bullshit of, I raced 10 races, I got fifth, I got this, I got that. No. How are you going to generate business for them? And she'd be like, well, I said, no, just jot it down. Write it down. Make a list of what you want from them. There's your list. Now make a list of what you can do for them. Because nobody ever asks a business about, you know, hey, I want to race for you because your product's awesome and I race GNCC and I got fifth and I want your company. Okay, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to race. to get that, but what, what else? I'm just going to race. Well, that then dictates the value of what that person's worth. And I mean, I grew up you know racing and all that stuff early on where it was a magazine and the magazine was produced you know it was sold every month right so it would take two or three months for that race to come out that happened so you could i don't want to say it like in a mean way but you could buffalo a company for a year before they start seeing you not doing your job and now it's instant now it is instantly if you know that that product arrived on my doorstep and I don't make a post don't tag your company don't do this don't do that you know instantly what happened and it's crazy
0: it is I I have had multiple shows on professionalism and how to promote your sponsors and that racers believe that racers deserve to be sponsored and they don't racers racers get Sponsored to sell product, period.
1: Yep. Yep. I get so upset when and like I said, I've never had the best I could buy or we could buy as a family. We've always had the best we could afford. And I mean if that was stock A arms on a floor and the X works shocks, then that's what it was. But I didn't know anything then, right? Now I know it's like a lot of a lot of people feel entitled because why race? And I and I hate that mentality because okay you race, you are relevant to how many people? Okay, let's just use the Iron Man example. Twenty thousand people through the twenty thousand people see you. Go to the gas station down the road two miles, walk in and tell them who you are. Do they know who you are? No. Oh, okay. Well, then we're still not there yet. But yet, you know, Dale Earnhardt walked into a gas station. People don't know who he is, right? And that's kind of where I'm trying to get myself. And I think I'm very limited on where I'm going to be able to get because of the ATV world and how limited we are with machines and exposure and all that. But I feel like to be a value to a company, you have to be able to create value. And how do you create value? You've got to be able to market and talk and sell.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Adam, I, I want to thank you so much. For reaching out to me today, everybody. It's Christmas Day. Adam's driving, and we haven't discussed his location. But um, um, as you listen to this, remember that you know he is somebody that's still building his brand and growing. And Adam, I want to thank you again for for taking the time and reaching out to me today. Um, it it means the world to me that uh, you thought enough of it to to do so. And and you know, really, thank you so much.
1: No, it's no problem, man. I know,
0: it's, like I said, it's been a pain in the ass. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience. Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs. And Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs visit our website www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment 619-987-8875 if you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program a custom atv or an industry guest speaker i have the company for you duncan technologies international inc offers Host MC and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Dunkin' Tech International at gmail.com or call 619 716 1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter.